I want to talk about the biggest obstacle to scientific progress that is current, currently um, within our society. And that is people who believe in science. Now, when I say believe in science, you know, everyone or most people, I would think, believe that, you know, um, application of rationality, logic, and understanding cause and effect, that these are all, you know, science in general, right? And, um, but the problem is that for many people, science is about truth, and truth is something that is simply a matter of looking it up as being in science. When I say looking it up, I mean, you know, referencing it most likely in Wikipedia or somewhere on the internet, which is how we get our truth these days, right? And here's the problem. Most of these people don't have the slightest understanding of what it is they believe. They really don't. They only look it up when they need some way to confirm the truth. They don't understand it at all. They don't think about it at all, which is spooky to me since I'm obsessed with it. Um, I mean, it seems strange that someone would, would um, claim, and this is the thing about these people, they claim to know you're wrong, but they won't address your argument. They won't tell you what it is about the current thinking that um, that supposedly, right, according to them, supposedly um, is mistaken. They won't do that. Instead, they'll argue that you're wrong, and that they'll t and they'll tell you to go look it up in a book. And I am not kidding. This is what they actually say. And here's the thing. Here's the real bad part about it is that they represent the exact attitude of millions and millions and millions of people when it comes to science. That it's just a matter of looking it up and otherwise it's a matter of a few um, relatively simple scenarios or, or um, models or um, narratives, let's say, of and that you can repeat these or you can refer to these by analogy and therefore you can essentially understand all there is to know. Um, when in reality, here's what's really going on, in reality there's a tremendous amount of complexity to science that is hidden from most people in the public because it's not really, um, it will just it will just confuse them, bring them to questions. It'll, it 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 won't lead to anything good, and besides, they're not interested anyway, so it doesn't matter, you know. Um, and so what you end up with is people who believe science, and that means that you have people who form emotional attachments, very strong emotional attachments to things they don't really understand. And here's the fact that, therefore, when you do have a model that's, that's been dumbed down or adopted over many generations and it's really kind of goofy looking, you know, no one really takes it seriously anymore. 
which is what we have in meteorology and we have in other, uh, other parts of climatology. For example, when it comes to water, there's just um, blatant confusion and blatant denial and um, complacency. And so um, you can't ever, you know, they, they won't ever uh, um, get around to the realization that there's a problem there because it's been so ingrained into the system anyway. So it's, it's not like they're faking or anything like that. But um, so that's the thing. Most people live in this delusional reality that science is about vague models and that the fact that, you know, and actually comparing things to evidence that that's somehow, um, you know, and actually making a model, bringing out details in the model and actually explaining what's actually observed, you know, um, which they can't do. And they all just avoid it. And when I say all, I mean all of meteorology just avoids attempting to make sense of their theory because their theory is just it's just rhetoric and and we now we know it is now for the longest time no one was able to figure it out because it's kind of like a religious belief right you know everyone uh, within it believes it very fervently and the outsiders don't understand it well enough to care and but what it turns out it though is that meteorology's understanding their theory on the physics of storms is just hocus pocus nonsense it basically spins off of three analogies. One of those is convection, which involves some ma magic light lightweight properties of H2O, which don't actually exist in our atmosphere, but they don't care. Um, these things do exist in a steam engine, maybe, you know, um, because they're, they, and enough time went by, and no one noticed that problem, you know, this, this, this fundamental misunderstanding of a very important aspect of reality, and that's, that actually relates back to water again. And um, so they went with this one that has a very simple analogy to it, and that is this notion of convection. Now, there's no, it's never been tested. The math on it doesn't actually work, um, and it requires a huge assumption that we know couldn't possibly be true, and that being that H2O becomes gaseous at temperatures below its known boiling temperature and pressure, which is just a, a delusion, kind of a um, superstition that's been with us uh, for the longest time. And so, um, you know, as you can imagine, when it comes to these superstitions, even though they don't make sense, if you um, put these before somebody in the public and ask them to make sense of this, they will swear that they don't see a problem. They will swear. They will, um, you know, the public wants to be fooled. There's just no other way to, to put it. And they don't really want to make any effort at all to understand it. And so you put those two together. You have this, this deeply delusional uh, paradigm based on conversation uh, over many years, a complete misunderstanding of water, and um, and a deep desire to 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 act like you understand it, <laughs> you know, that's a big part of this, to to convince people that you understand it. And you know what the really ironic thing is, when something emerges organically in the in human social 
conf, you know, interaction, conversation, and stuff like that, it completely, by the nature of its growth, it, it fits right into the human idea of what we think of as truth. You know, in other words, it just grew in there. It didn't really have any cause and effect behind it. You know, there's no such thing as convecting, as a, convec a convection storm or, or convecting cell or whatever words they want to use. These are all hocus-pocus notions that had to do with the fact they were confused, you know. They didn't have any way of understanding how... Um, structural properties can appear in the atmosphere and that therefore the, rec the correct paradigm of, atmosphere of atmospheric flow is that of plumbing, you know. And the tropopause being the, being the closet where that plumbing runs, okay. And that's really the way the atmosphere works. And it all shoots into the jet stream, thus explaining something that their model completely fails to explain, by the way, and that is how that jet stream keeps its momentum. Think about that. That jet stream just keeps moving along up there. And, and of course, there's more than one of them. But, um, you know, it has a somewhat predictable wave in it pattern uh, to it. And these are 200 mile an hour winds something's pushing it right there's some uh, things don't move for no reason you know the jet stream is there because something is pushing it because there's more than enough friction to bring something friction is is part of of, of reality right things run into each other and they disperse energy and there's plenty of friction in the atmosphere because air has has no smooth surface to it you know so it doesn't um it is, it is the, the epitome of, of friction, right? That's what essentially what um, air is uh, in the atmosphere when it comes to any kind of movement of any kind. And so um, that, by the way, is the real obstacle that the atmosphere has to overcome to achieve um, thermodynamic equilibrium. It's the fact that air does not stream well, okay? Air does not stream well. Now, fortunately, um, vortices do. And also, fortunately, uh, the conditions for the emergence of vortices tend to form naturally under calm uh, conditions with respect to the layering or f flattening out uh, between moist air and dry air uh, in the atmosphere creating this phenomenon that, we've that we can refer to as a moist-dry-wind-shear boundary. The idea being that um, if there's any slant on, on that, it'll start to, one part will start to slide over the other, thus creating this phenomenon that we refer to as wind shear. Now, wind shear is extremely important because that's where you get the, um, the plasma of the atmospheric vortices. Now, keep in mind, though, these things only, they, they can only spin up when you have these conditions. It just so happens, though, that our planet produces these conditions in abundance under periods of calm weather. And that's when, and, that, and, and essentially, we can think of that, um, those periods of calm that allow 
layers to flatten out and to create these smooth boundaries. We can think of those as being like the, um, the resources that eventually will feed into uh, the vortices that spin off the jet stream is, the, is kind of the best way to put it. Because those, the, the, air, the conditions of the moist layer and the conditions of the dry layer and the, their distinctness from each other and the, um, the evenness of the spaces between the, between the different droplets in the moist layer and the, and the relative um, sorting of the sizes of the droplets in the moist layer and to create this very orderly boundary between dry air above and moist, somewhat orderly air below. And then if and when um, that dry layer does start to drag over the um, the moist layer, the si the it, the situation happens that it can just naturally open up any any it, a tube can form is, is I guess the word I'm saying, and I won't go into that right now because that gets into the specifics of hydrogen bonding, which is just um, a mind uh, jumble. Um, trying to think of a nice wet word to use other than the word people usually use in that context. Um, it's it, it's confusing. It's not something you just want to have someone talk about. You have to be able to look at some of the equations and get your mind off of the mistake that was made by Linus Pauling back in the 50s, which, um, well, when you see the solution, you'll see how easy it was for them to have made that huge mistake. And I'm going to go. Thank you.